Uh, let's pray before we get going. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, Lord, that this, this text, as we take a look at it today, Lord, would, would shape us. Would, would you teach us? Would you mold us? Would you take what we know in our head and make it real to our heart, Lord? I pray, Lord, for your, your spirit, Lord. To strengthen me as I, as I got a little cold, and so I'm just feeling, my head's feeling a little foggy, Lord, so I ask for your, your grace and your, and your mercy, Lord. And uh, I got a lot of other stuff on my mind as Noemi's having her baby right now, so I'm excited about that, Lord. Help me be here. Pray for your spirit to meet us here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, yeah, if you guys have just heard through that prayer, Noemi's in the hospital, my family's over there having the baby, so that's an exciting time. Uh, I got a little bit of a cold, small cold, and the strange thing is last night I had a nightmare about preaching today. So I had a nightmare that, I've had this nightmare a couple times where just I I mess up the verse or, or people, I keep having these distractions and it's like a kindergarten class where you know, once you get a distraction, everyone's talking and you're trying to get their attention. And to top it off in this dream, Tyler Johnson was there watching. Tyler Johnson's my boss. So I woke up sweating and uh, it was a crazy nightmare. But uh, we're going to look in the book of Titus. And, and uh, what we see is with the book of Titus, Titus is about the healthy Christian life. Now, we all want to be healthy, right? We all have a desire to be healthy. No one wants to be sick. No one wants to be out of shape. We all want to be healthy now. Whether we're going to do something about it, that's a different story. But we all desire to be healthy, right? That's why, especially in America, you see uh, all these, there's always this new diet, right? Gluten-free, low-carb diets, Coke Zero. I love Coke Zero. Uh, you know, there's always the, the new uh, fad exercise craze, right? Zumba or Tybo or whatever it is. Americans want to be healthy. Well, this book is about, as I said, the healthy Christian life. Multiple times in this book, we'll see uh, Paul talk about having sound faith or sound doctrine, right? And so that word sound means healthy. It's the same word where we get uh, from the Greek, we get our word hygiene in English. So he's talking about healthy faith, healthy doctrine, the healthy spiritual Christian life. And so uh, it's important for Christians to be healthy spiritually for the, for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, right, which is the, the church's call, right, to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Well, well so what we see in this book is chapter 1 is about spiritual health in the church. Chapter 2 is about spiritual health in everyday life. And then chapter 3 is about spiritual health for the sake of mission. And so that's what we're going to see as we look in this book. Now, the author of this book is, is Paul, Paul the Apostle. And he introduces himself as servant, slave, which means slave, which is a powerful picture of, uh, of Paul's submission to Christ, right? That his life is centered on, on God and, and his mission, right? If you're a slave, I belong to my master. That's what Paul's saying. And he calls himself an apostle. Uh, uh, if you don't know what an apostle is, it's a God-appointed leader uh, of the early church. It's a witness of the resurrected Christ. Now, Paul wasn't always 
a, a leader in the Christian church. Paul was actually a, 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 the Pharisee of Pharisees, he calls himself. Right? He was zealous for, for the Jewish faith. And he was so zealous that he was involved in persecuting the early church. In the book of Acts, we, we hear there's a story of the stoning of Stephen. And it's the first time we hear about Paul, whose name was Saul. And, and we see that as, as Stephen, this young leader in the church, is sharing the gospel, he's stoned to death. And Paul is there giving approval to his death. Right? He's, he's breathing, breathing out murderous threats against the church. He wants the church done with. And he's part of the church scattering out of Jerusalem. And then, and Paul doesn't stop there. He's so zealous, he's, uh, he's, he pursues Christians as they, they flee out of town. And, and he's on the road to Damascus, going to imprison Christians when Jesus shows up to him. In power, this, this miraculous scene, Jesus has to blind him for him, him to be able to see him clearly. And on that road, Jesus calls him to be an apostle. Right? He, he, he calls him to, to, uh, on a mission to the Gentiles, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Right? The, there's Jews and Gentiles were everyone else. So God calls him. I mean, he's gonna, God, Jesus tells him, you're going to suffer for my name. That's Paul's calling. And, and Paul ends up writing three-fourths of the New Testament is written by Paul. Uh, and even in verse 3, we see, Paul uh, confirming this, what I just shared. He says, uh, in verse 3, he says, the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Right? He's reminding us that he has been entrusted to preach the gospel by the command of God. And so Paul is this, this, you know, this story of this radical transformation of an individual. It's, it's amazing. But Paul was the perfect person to take the, the gospel out because he was a Roman citizen, and, and he could travel. He, knew, he knows the culture, and, and he could travel around the Roman Empire. Now, who is Paul writing to? He's writing, you see, to Titus in verse 4, right? My true child in a, in a common faith. Titus, Paul and Titus previously had preached the gospel here on this island of, uh, of Crete. It was a, a large island just south of Greece. You can Google map it and see it. Um, but as they preached the gospel, many people had been saved. And, and Paul leaves Titus there to, to organize the churches on the island. So Titus' job isn't just like a, a local pastor like Josue and I. His job is more overseeing multiple churches, local congregations on this island. It's a huge task, and, and he's, he's, his job is to appoint elders, which are leaders in the church, which we're going to talk about next week, more about that, but that, that's his job. And, uh, and an important thing is here is, is Paul's handing over authority to Titus. He's writing and saying that, that Titus has his, Paul's authority, Right? Uh, as Titus is is going into this, it's important to know. Well, once, it's important to know who Titus is. Titus is an uncircumcised Gentile, right? So he would have been he would be opposed by the Jews. Many Jews are struggling with now Gentile inclusion in the faith. If you even if you I mean if you read the book of Acts and you see Jesus, 
Paul share Christ, he shares the gospel. As soon as he says Gentiles are included in this, I mean, they riot. I mean, they go after him. They're all good with the gospel until it gets to Gentile inclusion. So Titus needs, you know, Paul's authority as he's going. He's going to be opposed by some Jews and especially the, this group called the Circumcision Party. The Circumcision Party were, was a group of Jews who believed that you had to get circum, be, become a Jew and get circumcised to come to Christ, right? Now, Titus is going to stand as a, as a strong example, right? No, Titus is a true child and in a common faith, right? There's Gentile, uncircumcised Gentiles can, can be saved and be a part of the church and they can be leaders. Paul's trying to illustrate that with, with Titus's life. And, 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 and so, right, Titus would, would be able to stand against the circumcision group and say, hey, look at me, right? I'm uncircumcised Gentile. I have the Spirit. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not, about, it's not about, you're not saved by circumcision. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, right? The Spirit comes through faith. And, and that's what t- Titus's life would be a, a picture of. Which always makes me wonder, when you talk about the circumcision stuff, like, how the heck did anyone know? Like, what do they get their, their circumcision card to check it out the door or something? I, I always wonder about that, but, uh, but uh, it was an important thing for them. Now, what are the Cretans like? We got this island of Crete. These Cretans are, are pagans. This is an unbelieving pagan society. They, uh, many of them are new converts. Now, as they're an island, and, and they have a lot of outside influences coming into the island, and, and so they're shaped by the, the culture around them, not, on, not only on the island, but the greater Roman culture, these people. Verse 12, as we'll see this uh, as we go further, tells us about the Cretans. It says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Right? So this isn't just Paul saying this about them. He's not just observing them. This is one of their own prophets or their own writers right, saying, this is what the Cretans are like. Right? They're, they're pagans. They're shaped by the, the culture, right? not by the word of God. And so the, a lot of these guys, I mean, if you think about this now, these are all new, a lot of new believers. They don't have sound faith. They don't have sound doctrine. They need to to mature in faith. And so Paul's going to wants them to, to grow and become disciples of Jesus Christ and be shaped by God's word. And so you could say Christians today are much like the Cretans. Right? This book has much to say to us because just like the Cretans, Christians and the Christian church is often shaped by the world. Right? We're all we're all influenced by the world and the world's ideas and the culture and and, and right, the views on marriage and sexuality and, and religion, right? We're all, we all have those influences on us. Many Christians are, are biblically illiterate, so they're not shaped by God's Word, right? They're shaped by what does popular opinion say? So it's, it's so relevant. We got much to learn. So what's Paul's purpose in writing this? Well, the first purpose we see here is the faith of the elect. 
Paul is writing for the sake of the elect. His, his primary concern is that those who are God's elect will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Right? So he's preaching the gospel to everyone, knowing that the, the elect, God's chosen people, will come to faith when they hear it at the proper time. Right? The elect will respond in faith by, by the grace of Jesus Christ. So, so that makes you ask, well, who are the elect? Who are the elect that he's talking about? Well, the word elect is the same word used in the Bible for chosen. They're just different tenses. Elect or chosen, same word in the Greek. And it's basically the people who God chose to save before the foundations of the earth. Look at Ephesians 1.4. It will tell us who the elect are. Ephesians 1.4. It tells us that he, speaking of the Father, chose us in him, speaking of Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Right? So that's who the elect are. The Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Or the Father elected us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Right? So here's, here's the, the picture. God is omniscient. That means God knows everything. Before he even created anything, I mean, he knew the end of the story. He knew the end of the human story. He knew the human condition. He knew man would rebel against him. He knew that he would send his son, right, to die. He knew that the son would rise again, and one day he would restore all things. But he also knew that man was, was is, and the power of sin, right, that man on their own, would rebel against God. They would, they would choose to try to be their own God. And so God, before the foundation of the world, knowing this, said, I am going to save my people. Right? I'm going to save my chosen ones. I'm going to elect to save many, many people. And that's what God did. He elected undeserving sinners. He chose them. And Ephesians 4 gives us a a deeper picture. Uh, Ephesians 2.4 gives us a deeper picture of, of the elect. It tells us God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Right? So the picture here that, that Paul gives in Ephesians, again, you've got to see this is Paul writing. He knows about the elect. He says that man, natural man, is dead in their transgressions. Dead, spiritually dead, right? So a natural man is like the, the walking dead. I don't know if you watched that show, right? Alive and moving, but spiritually dead. And if you're dead, right, you can't make yourself alive again, right? That's why religion doesn't work, right? If you're dead you can't make yourself alive right it's like it's like going and going to a, a dead corpse and telling them hey you know get your life together right accept jesus and you can be saved they can't do anything they're dead and that's what we are spiritually dead and and, and our only hope is the intervention of jesus christ god's the one that makes us alive right 
just like a dead man, works can't make them alive. They can't do anything to earn life again. And so, and it tells us here that this happens because God is rich in mercy, right? God is rich in mercy because of the great love which with, with which he loved us, right? So this isn't about God chose the the better people, or he knew who were going to be the better people at the, the foundations, before the foundations of the world. He knew the people that would be really good, right? It wasn't about that. They were all dead. And God says, no, because of my mercy, because I, I love my, my creation, I am going to save many people who don't deserve it. Now, I, I remember when I, when I first heard this doctrine, I really struggled with this i struggled with this idea as i was like well well that's not fair how come god doesn't save anyone and what i've come to to realize is the real question we should ask is why in the world does god save anyone right no one deserves it no one earns it he doesn't owe salvation to anyone why, why would god save anyone that's the true question that's a better question right and if you, don't, if you don't think it's fair, well, you're right, right? Because it's not fair. It's not fair that God saves anyone. It, if we got what was fair, we would all immediately burn up and suffer for all of eternity in hell. I mean, that, in reality, that is what's fair. That's the only thing that's fair, the way we've rebelled against God, right? The way we've tried to control our lives. That's the only thing that's fair. And the only one, in fact, that can cry not fair is Jesus, right? Jesus got what wasn't fair, right? Jesus was the only innocent one, sinless, blameless, and he died on the cross. And so he gets what's not fair so we can get what's not fair, which is his grace. And so I don't want what's fair, right? Because if you want to cry, hey, give me what's fair, that, you don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> you're asking for, for judgment. And so, so the good news is God, although he doesn't owe anything to anyone, no one deserves it. We're all spiritually dead in our, in our sins and trespasses, right? Yet God saves many, many. You know, I, I wish I could put a number, millions of people that don't deserve it, and they'll be in his kingdom for all of eternity. God rescues sinners. And so Paul understands this doctrine of election very well. We see it I mean, uh, he, in Romans. He, he's got a huge piece in Romans 8 and 9. And he understands this doctrine as well as anyone. And so he knows God's elect are out there. And he wants to write for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Right? He wants the gospel to go out to everyone on this island, as well as the world, because he knows that God's elect are out there. They're scattered out there everywhere, right? Even in this community, God's elect are everywhere. They're at your workplace, right? They're, they're, at, uh, they're at the Starbucks or the restaurants you go to eat. God's elect are out there. And Paul wants us to share the, the faith, share the gospel for the sake of the elect so that when they hear the gospel, that they'll have an opportunity to respond in faith, right? Paul wants people to hear the gospel and, and respond to Jesus 
And, and the good news is, the amazing thing is, all we have to do is preach the gospel, right? We don't have to be like the most eloquent of speakers. We don't have to have all the answers. We just got to love people enough to take a risk to be rejected, right, to, to share the gospel with them, to share our own lives and how, how Jesus has, has transformed our lives. And God's going to do the rest, right? God's, gonna, God's done the electing already. God's going God's to draw them to himself when it's their time. And all we have to do is, is share the good news. Share our lives with people. Love them and bless them. And, and so God's done the choosing, and God will do the saving. Right? And, and that takes a lot of pressure. That takes a lot of pressure off of us. You know, I remember uh, early on when I, when I was a young Christian and I, I was doing young life ministry, I felt a lot of pressure. Like, I got to get this kid to say the, get, say the prayer. Right? I got to get them to say the prayer. I got to convince them. I got to manipulate them to say this prayer so they can get to heaven. That's not how it works, right? God will save them. God will draw them to themselves, and God will do the work in their hearts. We just love people and share the gospel, invite them into community, share our lives, and God will do the saving. So think about it this way. Imagine you have a, a, a bag of seeds, Right? You get a bunch of seeds. When you look at seeds, they're just lifeless. I mean, it's just seed. You don't know if that, that thing's going to grow. You know what it's going to do. But you, you know, if you're planting a garden, you, you till the soil. You get some really good soil, and, and you plant the seeds, and you water them. And maybe you put some fertilizer in there, and you keep coming back to see what's going to happen, right? And eventually, some of them sprout, and, and some of them don't. And that's the same thing with the gospel, right? We share the gospel. We, we till the soil of people's hearts. We, we plant the seeds of the gospel. We come and keep coming back, watering and, and nurturing and, and even praying that they might be saved. And, and some people sprout up and grow and, and come to faith, and some don't. And, and so that's what we do is we, we till the soil. We plant. We water. We trust God with the results. He's the one that saves, right? And that, it takes a, a ton of pressure off us, right? And know what? You'll grow as you do that as well. Right? There's nothing that will cause you to grow more probably than sharing the gospel with people because you're going to have to understand, know what is it that I really believe so I can share it with people, right? You're going you're gonna to have people ask you questions that you don't know and and then you're going to go find out, and you're going to learn and grow, and then be able to share it with them. So Paul is concerned about the faith of the elect. I hope you would be concerned about other people's faith. That's, that's our calling. The second thing we see is that the knowledge of the truth leads to godliness, right? He's writing for the sake of, of the faith of the elect uh, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So he's making this connection with knowledge of the truth according or, or leading to, right, or, or being together with godliness. Knowledge and godliness go together, right? So Paul is not, not uh, just focused on simply people coming to the faith, right? He do, he's, not, he's not only concerned with people being converted. He wants to see people be discipled. He wants to see lives transformed by the gospel 
by the knowledge of the truth, right? And, and so he, he sees that truth leads to godliness. And so if you're lacking in godliness in your life, you're lacking in truth, in the knowledge of God's word is what you're lacking. Now you got to ask, what is this truth that, that leads to godliness, right? Is it just a bunch of be filling your head with a bunch of facts, right? I, I, I've known Bible professors who, who, you know, at ASU know a bunch of stuff about Christianity, more than we'll probably ever know, and they're not saved, right? They don't have faith, so it's not just about knowledge, right? How many uh, people have grown up in the church and can answer every Bible trivia question, and they don't have faith in Jesus Christ, right? It doesn't affect their life. I've known tons of guys who are puffed up with a lot of biblical knowledge, and they're jerks, right? You've probably met one of those guys, right? They, they have a lot of head knowledge, but it doesn't affect their heart to love people. So it's not just about being filled with a bunch of, of, of knowledge. What it is, it's, a, it's about the gospel. This whole thing is about the gospel. That's why he's talking about the faith of the elect, the hope of eternal life, right? The knowledge he's talking about is knowledge of the gospel. That's what leads to godliness. And so we, what we see is the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian faith. It, the gospel is the A to Z of Christian faith. I remember as a young believer, uh, I would go to, I, I used to think, oh, man, I've heard, why are they always talking about the gospel stuff? I know this stuff. Give me the deeper stuff, right? But what I've come to learn as I've grown in Christ is the gospel is the deeper stuff, right? The gospel is not just ABCs. It's A to Z. The Bible is all about the gospel, right? This, this whole Bible, the whole book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what leads to godliness. That's what transforms our lives. And so, as you grow in faith, right, as you're going to grow in godliness, I, I think ten, we tend to think, okay, as I, as I become a more mature Christian, that I'm going to see my sin less, right? And, and partial, kind of it's true, right? You'll, maybe you'll stop cussing or, you know, when I was a young believer, I was smoking weed and uh, maybe you'll stop looking at porn, I hope by God's grace, Maybe God's going to work and help you, you know, deal with some of these outward sins, maybe some anger. But what happens is as you grow in the faith, you don't see your sin less. While you might overcome some sin, you start seeing your sin more, right? Because as you mature in Christ, you see, man, how prideful am I, right? How greedy am I? How self-centered am I? And those are things that you can kind of hide, but they're real. And as you grow in Christ, you grow in and more knowledge and awareness of your sin of your, and your lack of trust in God. Like, uh, I've heard John Piper talk about this, right? John Piper is like, you look at that guy like, man, this guy doesn't do anything wrong. But he, he talks about how, how great his sin is, how much he sees it. And then as you mature in Christ, you even begin to see, man, how even the good things I do are, have mixed motives, right? Self-centered motives. I want to be glorified, or I want to get the credit, or I want people to look at me and how great I am. <laughs> so, so as we grow in, in Christ, we see our sin more. But at the same time, we need to grow in our knowledge of the gospel. Because we'll see how 
deeply sinful, how deeply flawed we are, but we'll also at the same time see how much Christ loves us in spite of that, right? We'll we'll get a a greater knowledge of of God's love and his mercy on me, that I'm a child of God. Nothing can separate me from from the love of God, and, and he's working on me, right? So if you don't grow in an awareness of your sin, right, you'll become prideful and think that you got it all together. So you should grow in your awareness of sin and also your need for the gospel. You need the gospel all the way through our, our life. And if, you're, if you don't grow in, 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 in seeing God's love for you, you'll we'll want to just despair and give up because it's only the gospel that sanctifies us and, and changes us. And so we're going to see that we're more sinful than we ever uh, imagined, but at the same time more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever hoped. That's the knowledge that changes us, right? The more we understand how much God loves us, the more we'll understand, the more we'll live for him, the more we'll love him and, and want to be changed by him. That's what happens. So I ask you, are you becoming more Christ-like? Right? You can't have the Spirit of God in you and, and not change. Are you, are, you, are you surrendering sin? Are you confessing? Are you repenting? Are you, are you serving? These are things. Are you sharing the gospel with people? Are you, are, I think the greatest measure of your mature, the greatest measure, this is the greatest measure, is love. Do you love people? That's the greatest measure of maturity in your life. Do you love God? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love God's people? That's the new command, right? To love one another. So faith leads to godliness. Knowledge of the gospel leads to godliness. The gospel not only justifies us, right? That means we stand before God guilty, and because of the good news of Jesus Christ, God says, innocent, clean, right? You're forgiven. So the gospel justifies us, but the gospel always also sanctifies us. The gospel transforms us day by day by day. And so maybe, if, maybe you're in a dry season and, and you're not changing. Maybe you've, you try really hard, like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this sin. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on the gospel. Put your eyes on Jesus and, and confess and repent. And ask him to change you. That's how you change. Rather than kind of going in this cycle of, oh, I'm, I did good for two weeks and then I failed and I feel horrible about myself. And now I've got to try to do better and clean myself up and earn God's forgiveness. That's what we do. <laughs> we, we, we make ourselves pay for it rather than trusting in Jesus and confessing and come receiving his grace and seeing that our identity is not that sin, but child of God, citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and that's how Jesus changes us. If you're struggling, I'd encourage you to read a book like You Can Change by Tim Chester. It's an excellent book about gospel-centered transformation. Tim Chester, You Can Change. And finally, he ends with the hope of eternal life. Now, yesterday, uh, I, I watched uh, Selena. I don't know if you guys know this movie, uh, Selena. But if you want to learn about kind of uh, 
Mexican-American culture, uh, I'd encourage you to watch Selena. It's a great movie. Uh, it's this story of, I mean, it's almost this, this fair princess story. Uh, it's this real live woman who was a singer, you know, very popular in the 90s. And what happens is then she, well, do I want to ruin the movie for you guys? Ah, uh, you guys know. <laughs> well, she dies in the end, and she this is a real person. And this, this story is about her life. And, and we, I watched it with my kids, and, and uh, Olivia was crying, bawling. Because it's like watching a princess fairy tale movie where the princess dies at the end. And so it's devastating. I just didn't realize it because I've watched it so many times. And even Emmy was, was crying. Go look on my Facebook. You'll see the picture of them holding on to Ruthie crying. And I had to encourage them with the hope of eternal life. Right? I had to go to them and tell them, you know, death, this is not the way God intended. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way God created it. And I had to tell them that, you know, one day, God's going to make all things new, right? One day there will be no more death. All this evil and brokenness in the world will be gone. And so we had to cling to the hope of eternal life to, to press forward in life, to keep going, right, to not just despair. And it helped my, my girls kind of, you know, renew their mind. I'm trying to teach them to renew their mind with truth all the time. And so that's what Paul's reminding us, is that in the middle of this broken world, we need hope, right? We need hope to continue on, to to share the gospel, right? To share the gospel. That's the hope that we have, man. I can share the gospel with people because there's this great hope of eternal life. And people are out there suffering and broken and despairing and looking for hope anywhere. And you can say, hey, here's the true hope. There's a hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? And everyone's complaining about how messed up the world is. Well, hey, the good news is God's going to fix this messed up world. That's a great hope for people that you should point people to. And it's this hope of eternal life that enables us even to share the gospel with people, to face ridicule and rejection and persecution we can face those things because of the hope that we have of eternal life. We need hope to fight against sin and to grow in godliness. And that's part of the gospel is the hope of eternal life. Right? If there's no end, there's no end to this fight. Just despair and give up. Right? But there's an end. There's hope for a future. I know victory is already purchased through Jesus Christ in the end. And I won't have to fight sin forever. One day, this sin that I'm fighting every day, this pride, the anger in my heart, will be gone. Right? So because of that great hope, I can keep up the fight. Keep up the fight. Keep clinging to the truth of the gospel, the hope of eternal life that I have. That's what enables us to keep going. And we can have this hope because we have a God who never lies, right? That's what he says, right? Which, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. That's our great hope is our God tells the truth. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has 
he's spoken and will he not fulfill it? Right? God is not a liar. We can trust him. We can have our hope set in him. He's not going to change his mind. Right? If you're a believer and you're walking in Christ and you stumble into sin or in a rough portion of your life, God's not going to change his mind and say, you know what? Forget that guy. Right? He's not going to give up on you. If you're his elect, nothing can separate you from him. That's the great you hope you have. Cling to Christ. And why is Paul making this point? Well, in Cretan mythology, these people he's writing to, all their the Greek gods were a bunch of liars. They all lied. Zeus lied and took on the form of a man to sleep with some woman. I read, right? They're all liars. So Paul's saying, hey, my, this God we're preaching about, right? Jesus Christ is not like your false gods. He's not a liar. You can trust him. He's not going to take advantage of you. And you see, the Cretans were all liars, right? We read that in verse 12, that the Cretans are all liars. John 8, tells us that the devil is a liar. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And the great hope we have, right? The hope for the faith of, of God's elect, right? Which, which it, knowledge, which accords to godliness and, and hope of eternal life, is that we have a God that doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. He's kept his promises from the beginning. From all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, he keeps his promises and, and his son, right? The seed of a woman dies on that cross. He's, he's bruised by Satan, yet he, he, he crushes the head of Satan. Right? God keeps his lies. God promised that in Genesis 3.16, and, and he fulfilled it. And because God has always kept his, his promises, you can trust him to the end, right? How many times in our lives do we, we just forget so quickly, right? God's kept his promises over and over. God's been faithful. He, he showed up, but then the next time we're in this situation, right, we, next time you lose the job or, or finances are a little tight, we want to despair and, and freak out. God, where are you? But God keeps his promises. God is trustworthy. So if you're hearing this and wondering, man, am, am I the elect? You know, you might hear that. Well, am I one of God's elect? How do I know if I'm one of God's elect? If you have, if you hear God calling you, you have a desire to come through him, to him in faith, then you're one of his elect, right? If, if you will come to Jesus and you'll repent of your sins and, and place your hope in him, then you are one of the elect. So I'd encourage you guys, uh, to come if you're hearing God's call in your life. And I encourage you guys, you know, as we go out this week to, uh, I want to be, I want to talk about this more. I, I feel like in our RCs, we haven't been talking about mission and, and sharing the gospel enough as we went through judges. And, 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 and I want to get, get back to that, right? That, that's our call as a church is to live for the sake of God's elect. And so I'd encourage you to this week, Share the gospel with someone. You know, if you haven't been doing that with a coworker, a, a friend, a family work, worker, step out of your, your comfort zones and, and share the gospel, right? And trust God with the results, even if they reject you or make fun of you. And uh, we're going to keep talking about this in our RCs. So let me pray. Lord Jesus.
I just thank you for your word. I thank you for how, how it challenges us. I thank you for how it stretches us, how it calls us out of our idolatry, it calls us out of our comfort zones. Lord, I pray that we would have uh, an eternal perspective on life, not just live focused on ourselves and in the world around us, but the hope that we have for eternal life, that there's people out there that are your elect already, Lord, and we get the privilege, the honor of sharing the gospel with them, that you get to, and, and we get to be used by you to see people come to you. I pray that we would, every single person in this room would, would have that kind of honor and that kind of blessing, Lord, to be used by you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.